I'm Stephen. And I'm Kevin. In today's episode of The Stephen and Kevin Show, we're going to talk about behavioral finance with our special guest, Dr. Daniel Crosby. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 35 of the Stephen and Kevin Show. And today we have a very special treat for you. We're going to be interviewing Dr. Daniel Crosby. He's a behavioral finance speaker, a New York Times bestselling author, a contributor for, for CNBC. He's the founder of Nocturne Capital, and his ideas have appeared in the Huffington Post, Think Advisor, Risk Management, as well as his columns in WealthManagement.com and Investment News. And he has a new book. It's called The Laws of Wealth Psychology and the Secret to Investing Success. So, Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I guess first off, uh, Daniel, uh, for those of uh, out there who, who aren't as familiar with your work, obviously you're an author and we want to get into a little bit about the book and, and some of the, the nuggets that are in there. We sure enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. um, but but more generally, what, what do you do that, that, um, that helps this uh, advisor audience? I know your, your business model uh, is diverse. <laughs> that, that's a nice euphemism. So the, the, the thing that I do is I want to be at the, at the vanguard of applied behavioral finance. And it's sort of in everything I do, uh, I love behavioral finance. I'm a, I'm a psychologist by education. I'm the son of, a, uh, of an investment advisor. Um, and have spent my entire career in the financial services industry. So I love behavioral finance, but I think that we have done uh, financial advisors and other practitioners a disservice by being too ivory tower. Uh, and so I want to be at the forefront of, of behavioralizing finance and bringing these things uh, to the masses in applied ways. Uh, so that takes two forms, and those are really reflected in the book. You know, part one of the book uh, is great, you know, great advice, I think, for advisors on sort of a contract to make with their clients about 10, 10 rules that will keep them, uh, that will allow their clients to hang on to more of their money. And then part two of the book talks about how we at Nocturne Capital manage money uh, through a behavioral lens. So it's a combination, you're right, it's, it's diverse, it's, it's all over the place, it's a combination uh, of managing money from a behavioral lens uh, and helping advisors to help their clients hang on to more of their hard-earned dough. Gotcha. And, and it seems like uh, with all the that the robo-advisor crowd is getting right now that behavioral finance is even more important now for advisors uh, as a differentiator. Uh, do, you, do you see some of the same, Daniel? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think, you know, we've gone from, I, I feel like we're in sort of the third wave, maybe the fourth of financial advice, you know, for, for the longest time. Uh, financial professionals were, in a very real sense, gatekeepers. Like, I mean, you couldn't get the information you needed. You couldn't get a stock quote unless you went to your broker or your advisor. And then, you know, phase two, we competed on uh, performance. And now I think in phase three, we'll call it the behavioral phase, is we're, we're understanding more deeply that, that, that this is the biggest value added by advisors is hand-holding and behavioral coaching. Uh, and I talk about that a lot in the book because I think it's, frankly, the, the biggest value that we add, and I think that's uh, widely misunderstood by our clientele. 
Yeah, that's great. And actually, I have a study here from Vanguard, and I think this is pretty interesting, and it's talking about the value of financial advisor uh, ads. And I think it just uh, really mirrors what you're saying here is that there's kind of three main things where they add value, portfolio construction, wealth management, and then behavioral coaching. And that what they found in this study is that um, working with an advisor over the long term adds about three percentage points of value in net portfolio returns over time. And a big part, part of that is from that behavioral coaching aspect. Yeah, the reason I love that, uh, I cite that Vanguard Advisors Alpha study in Chapter 2 of my book, and the reason that I love that study uh, is because they actually broke out sort of task by task that a financial advisor adds, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. they found that if, the, if an advisor adds 300 basis points of value uh, per year, which is what they found, fully 150 basis points of that is behavioral coaching and hand-holding, mm-hmm. And no other task that an advisor does in a, in a day comes close to adding that much value. And so I think that's great. And, you know, what's cool is there's been a lot of research to, to reinforce that study uh, from everyone from Brinker Capital to InvestNet uh, to Aon Hewitt and others are all finding that this sort of 3% uh, number is, is about where you're at. And that's a huge, huge difference over an investment lifetime. Absolutely. Um, so, so we'd like, love to learn a little bit more of, about your book here. Um, I mean, look, there, there's, I love when you were mentioning the 10 rules, and we're going to get into that in just a second. But what do you feel like from an advisor standpoint? What are some of the things that they can take you know, and learn from, from your book and can put into practice pretty quickly with their clients? Well, I, you know, I, I'm going to draw on the proud Southern tradition of making a short point by telling a very long story. So I was uh, I was at a Braves game recently. I'm from Alabama. I live in Atlanta. Um, I was at a Braves game recently, and there were a number of uh, uh, young women uh, by a Budweiser tent walking around asking people to sign a pledge, um, asking them not to drink and drive. And so when I inquired, they were, for, they were UGA students, they were Georgia students, and I, I wanted to know more about this. And they actually cited the work of Robert Cialdini, who's this sort of famed psychologist yes. who uh, talks about commitment, right, and getting people to do what you want them to do. And they, they drew on his research to say, look, when people make a commitment not to drink and drive, even if there's no teeth in it, it's not like you get in more trouble if you do. But if you just give your word, people are far less likely to misbehave. And so I think the first 10 chapters of the book uh, present a universe uh, for the clients of financial advisors that advisors should sit down with their clients and say, hey, look, uh, you know, just as surely as I have an investment policy statement and these are the things that I'm going to do while managing your money, uh, we need to have a behavioral policy statement too, and you need to agree uh, to sort of these 10 things. So that's how I see financial advisors using the book. I like it. And, that's and I can see that being woven in, you know, for obviously if you're an existing uh, advisor, you've got a lot of existing clients and you want to go back and retrofit some of this. And it's great to go back and bring up in conversation that, hey, you know, there, there's, uh, there's mounting evidence that the behavioral side of all this can really impact your portfolio. So I want to go through these, these 10 rules with you that we think would be beneficial. But I think it's even easier to go through with newer clients who don't know any different. And this is part of your hook in some of the first prospecting meetings. Have you, have you seen much of that? I'm I'm advocating it. I'm advocating for it. You know, I speak at about a conference a week, and I'm advocating for it everywhere I go. Now, frankly, I don't see a lot of it, which is why I think that it's needed. Uh, but there's sort of a weird paradox. Uh, and again, Cialdini talks about this in his book about influence and persuasion. 
But there's a weird paradox in making it harder to work with you and, in a sense, makes you more attractive to work with. You know, people want to belong to a club uh, that, that they, it's hard to be led into, to an exclusive club. And so I think advisors sort of paradoxically when they say, look, hey, I'm not going to, I don't want your money unless you're going to do these 10 things because it's that important. I think people sit up and listen a little bit, um, and it actually can be a compelling sales proposition in addition to just, a, you know, a good idea. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so much of what, uh, you know, so much of the, the good things that happen with clients early on are these structural conversations that lay the groundwork for the rest of the relationship, whether it's around the, the behavioral side of when you're putting money in or taking it out or wanting to make changes, or whether it's in how we communicate back and forth the first few meetings are so critical in getting across some of that those ideas and even putting it into writing. Daniel, have you seen many people put these uh, these uh, these ten commandments, if you will? Uh, what is the actual term for them, so we can reference it? I, I, laws, I think the laws I, of all. Ten, ten laws. Commandments in the book, yeah. Ten laws. Ten laws. Um, do you see people put those into writing uh, for for clients? So, again, going back to the Budweiser tent at, the, at Turner Field, putting it in writing is more powerful, the research says. And it also gives the advisor a document to revisit during times of volatility and say, look, you know, Mrs. Mr. or Mrs. Client, you know, remember when we said that if you're excited, it's probably a bad idea? Remember in your cold, rational state you consented to this? <laughs> yep. now, I know you want, I, I know you're freaking out about Brexit now, but there was a time when this did, you know, there was a time when this all made sense to you, and let's revisit this, and what, looky here, here's your signature. I mean, it seems like a small thing, uh, but actually uh, signing something like that actually it leads to a dramatic uptick uh, in compliance. I like it. Let's talk about a couple of the rules um, that you have in, in here, uh, these 10 rules. Um, we, we were really intrigued by a, a few of them. Rule number two, which is you cannot do this alone. And then rule number seven, that is forecasting is for weathermen. Um, and obviously, like, if you were putting this on, on paper, you'd have to, you might want to change that forecasting one is for weathermen, right? Because you have some clever uh, titles for these. But can you talk to, to us about those two rules in, in particular? Yeah, so we've, we've touched on a, a bit of rule two, you cannot do this alone. That, that's where I make the case for the great study that you all mentioned earlier that talks about the true, uh, the true value of working with a financial advisor. You know, sort of the point there is you need a financial advisor, but not for the reason that you think. Uh, and, and in there, I talk in addition to the, the stuff about behavioral alpha from Vanguard and others, I, I talk about research by Natixis, which is fascinating to me. So Natixis did research recently that found that 83% of advisors uh, think that behavioral coaching uh, and hand-holding are, are the most important value that they add to their clients' lives. So by and large, the people listening to this uh, um, are bought into this concept and understand the research. But then they flip it back on the clients and they say, how, how many of you clients think that behavioral coaching and hand-holding uh, are the most important things that you get from your advisor. And a mere 6% said that that was the case. So wow. we as an industry have a great deal of work to do to educate our clientele about the value that we add. And it's not what they think, right? So that's, that's what that chapter is all about. And I think advisors will find it uh, sort of a useful reference for, for proving their value from a behavioral standpoint. Um, forecasting is for weathermen. Uh, talks about, uh, we'll, we'll say weather people, right? That's what I, what I should have said. <laughs> Forecasting is weather people um, is a chapter 
uh, about how uh, the preponderance of actively managed funds are based on sort of a forecast model. So um, I, put, I put together a narrative. I have a thesis about what's going to happen in Greece or, you know, Great Britain or whatever, and I manage money according to a thesis uh, that, that draws on uh, how I think things are going to go down in the future. And I talk about just how poor a model that is and just how, honestly, gosh-awful even very smart people are at forecasting. So I talk about research from David Dreeman. David Dreeman looked at almost 80,000 consensus estimates and found that only one time in 170 uh, was reality within 5% of that consensus estimate. Um, I talk about the work of Philip Tetlock, who found that the more uh, well-known a forecaster is, the worse his or her predictions tend to be because people rise to fame on the back of uh, large, improbable, scary, big-time forecasts, but then they tend to be perma-bears or perma-bulls, and those things tend not to come around again in the same way. Um, so it, anyway, this is just trying to get people to turn off uh, CNBC and other financial pornography and stick to a rules-based approach rather than trying to guess what's coming, uh, coming down the road. Yeah, I Great love the stuff. financial pornography comment there. Uh, <laughs> that really resonated classic. with you, didn't it? But, you know, it's um, another good conversation <laughs> that advisors can have with clients uh, about yeah. the need to, you know, to turn that off. We've talked before, Kevin, about, uh, you know, the, 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 so many offices you visit. And what do you say? You sit in the lobby of their office, and what's playing? It's CNBC. Yep. It's some talking Kramer. panel there, yep. fanning the flames, if you will. And, uh, and as I've heard Matt Oxley say, he says, you need to turn on, like, HGTV or the, the Weather Channel or yeah, Discover Earth. National Geographic, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just helping people keep their, their head on straight is a big theme here. Um, you know, with all the articles and blogs that you see around behavioral finance, is there a, a piece of fiction that you see, something that you see out there that, that just drives you kind of up the wall, Daniel? So I'll, I'll be a little uh, controversial here and say I think the biggest fiction out there is created uh, by some of the biggest and most important voices in the space. And so you hear people like Richard Thaler and Daniel Kahneman, uh, when asked about sort of their hope for people acting differently, they, they still tend to think of, of investors and uh, even financial advisors as sort of irreparably irrational and that there's nothing that we can do to be different. And, and so, you know, like Kahneman would say, like, hey, I've described all these ways in which people deviate from sort of the perfect homo economicus models of, of rational thinking economic man. Uh, and so I've outlined these ways that we fall short, and there's not much we can do about it. And I think that that's uh, too clinical and too, uh, too sad a picture to paint of humanity. And I think that through a combination of education and real-time uh, real-time hand-holding and, and advice from, from an advisor who's skilled in these matters, I think that we can do much, much better than we have. And I'm not as, I'm not as down on humankind as some of the uh, very bright lights in behavioral finance. Yeah, I would agree because you can see the impact of, uh, I don't know if, if you've read uh, Nudge or, or some similar uh, you know, choice architecture type books, but so, it's all so fascinating about some of the little ways uh, – you know, that it, you as an advisor can structure things for clients, like the contract that we're talking about here that can make a big difference in how the clients uh, may make choices with their money down the road. So I, I'm with you, Daniel. We're optimists around here. That's right. I'm, I'm long humanity forever. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, well, make sure you check out uh, Daniel's new book, The Laws of Wealth, here. Uh, it's, you can get it on Amazon. Great book. Make sure you get it. It's, it was just released recently. Before we let you go, Daniel, a quick question for you. Um, have you ever stopped anyone and said, no, 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 I'm Dr. Daniel Crosby? I, I have <laughs> never done that. And I'll tell you, what's great is the only way that I sort of misuse my, my Ph.D., is when I'm calling someone important and the, the assistant wants to know who's calling, I, I make sure to use the doctor. <laughs> Just because they think the boss probably has cancer or something, and so they don't... <laughs> or at least an embarrassing rash or something that they don't want to probe about. Right, right, right. They don't know that I'm a doctor that doesn't actually help anyone. So I, my calls get answered that way. I'm going to have to go back and get a doctor just for that reason. Thank you for that, yes. that, that piece of advice. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Great stuff. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you.